0: Matakahi Studios
1: Matakahi.
0: Yeah, Matakahi I got that from off my solo album called Matakahi Kupu which is taken from the toki Ko the Matakahi Maire which was said of the first warrior to breach the enemy's ranks so I thought, hey, I like that so I'll, I'll take off Maere that's the name of the tree and put in kupu so these are the words which penetrate Ka ranga Rangatahi Whakarongo, whakarongo. On the, the release of Air 2 in November of 1988. By release I mean it was the screening of the music video for Air 2 on Radio of the pictures. That was the release because that, after that we were we really overnight. We were just known overnight nationally because there hadn't been a rap band yes. and there hadn't been a Maori rap band also on top of that. And the chorus was air two, stand proud, kia say it loud. You know, people are like, what is that? What are these guys going on about? I remember our manager at the time, George Hubbard, he says, why don't we put out this song? Wonderful. That's the beat, you know, because it's a popular, you know, poppy kind of song. It's Elna. <laughs> it's very clear to me that the first song that we're going to bring out is going to be a political song, social, socially aware, conscious song. And E2, that was it.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, who wrote E2? Where did that song come from?
0: Oh, I wrote it. The lyrics, and my brother came up with a bass line. And I says, yeah, he just had this bass line, which is very simple. I says, yeah, yeah that'll work. And then it was just wrapped over the top of that. That's how we, we formed it, me and him. It was aimed primarily at Māori people, but just to everybody at the same time.
2: Air 2 would go on to become the unofficial anthem of Upper Heart Posse. They started their careers in 1985 as a four piece reggae band. Dean Haapeta, also known as Te Kupu, is a founding member and his politically and socially conscious beliefs have grown in the 30 years since he's been doing music. Well, perhaps his views were shaped when he encountered racism as a young kid. But the many songs Dean has written over the years speak a powerful message to uplift a people and to fight against oppression.
0: See, I took the, the phrasing, e to stand proud, kia kaha, say it loud, from... James Brown, say it loud, I'm black, I'm black and I'm proud. I, when I heard that song, earlier than that, of course, earlier than 88, 87 when I wrote the song, I was like, man, Mori people need a song like that. There's people walking around, so many Mori behaving as though we're meant to be dumb, bro. You know, at that point I'd in eighty one I got five school search subjects as a Mori to do, get that in upper hut at least. Was like unheard of, although I wasn't the first. We'd be drinking in the park and up a hut somewhere. And one of my friends, we might meet some other people from Taita or wherever who were going to the skating rinks. And everyone had to have a few beers somewhere as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, my friends took a bit of joy pointing out to them, like, hey, this fella here got five subjects school set. And they'd just be like, nah, bro, you're one of us. You, that didn't happen. I says, yeah, whatever. But it was like, that was the climate in 1981. And you can see that's changed a lot now, but I know there's still the dumbing down. My daughter was talking about it, who's 21 now, and she was at that college over there, and there was a bit of that there amongst the people. We're Māori, we're dumb. It's like, you're dumb, personally, but don't say that about Māori people, or any people, any ethnic group. Just from that whole background, I just am just looking at Māori people and everything you know we're in the we're doing the menial jobs as though we haven't got brains so yeah well, are having to say look I man we need to be proud also about our ancestors who fought violently that's a key aspect of air 2 it was like i'd heard of Tefiti at that time and i was like well, i don't want to talk about peaceful people here now i want to talk about people that fought against this colonial structure of governance that was coming into the country in the eighteen hundreds, I want to talk about them and those that were violently opposed to it Hoke Kawiti, who fought wars against invading english people so we need and we need to be proud of them because back in those days in the eighties early eighties well late seventies early eighties, they were also known as rebels <laughs> and If we had, if we could place the terminology of today, they would be known as terrorists. But that's what our ancestors who fought for us, people like us, me and you now, to live today. And that's why that song had to be like that, hard like that, to all Indigenous people
2: who don't know about that history, who don't know about those names, Terangi Hayata,
0: yeah, yeah, to stand proud, say loud, you know, because of these people.
2: Today, Dean Haapeta is still performing, mostly releasing his own music. In part three of Manu Oriori, a Waeta Māori music series here on Te I'm at the home of Dean Harpeta at Raumati Beach. I talk about the music, controversy, and the group's members over the past three decades, and their undeniable impact upon Māori music. At a time where mainstream audiences had only heard of Māori show bands, Māori pop music, and year. He takes me back to those early years.
0: 1985, yeah, we formed as a four-piece reggae group. And that had sprung out of a couple of years of congregating here and there wherever we could, like at Māori Bank River, around the fire with a few beers, banging on a beer crate. Someone would play a few chords on a guitar. And also at the place called The Pad, that was probably the main place where a few of the brothers were staying, which is kind of a drop-in house. So we'd stop by there. They'd started jamming on whatever musical instruments we could find. We didn't have gears in it as such. We picked up a bass guitar from a friend. And they had an old amp there, so we grabbed that too. There was a drum kit, sort of, wow. <laughs> that was at the pad. And we didn't really have all the speakers and that. And the bro, Blue Dread, he had his guitar And we just really, after so many years of listening to Bob Marley, and that was like, and, of course, hip-hop music, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. It was like, man, we want to do our own thing.
2: And did you know back then, being as young as you were, that political and social message that Bob Marley was conveying really hit a chord with you? Oh,
0: yeah, definitely. Because I was 19 in 1985. And he'd been listening to Bob Marley for years before that as well. And I loved all all his songs, but, you know, the Survival album and those tunes there, just so much trouble in the world, just sang straight to us.
2: influence on you and the group being pivotal and instrumental in the songs throughout the years. Our
0: activists, our radicalism comes from there, yes, but also Maori activism and just the, the inbred sense of needing to fight against injustice. And so you can see it here in this country something that I heard activists, Sid Jackson and others speak about saying of that you know joining the white man's system ain't going to get us this and that and i'd also heard the Black Panthers speaking about that. And joining the white man's system and trying to fight from within, there's there's been that argument, it's like, should we fight from within? We can get in there, bro. Change their system from within. And people who have been studying white supremacy for many years are always (laughs) been saying for years, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. And now that I'm sitting here talking to you, you're asking me that question, I haven't seen it happen. People are out for themselves. These Maori politicians that get in there seem to do something perhaps for their own iwi or just for themselves. They're getting a nice wage in that. But individualism is a big problem, as is nepotism, which you could say is the opposite of it, but not quite. And I just don't see things moving forward in a positive way. Because we still have poverty, we still have great crime and it's the system. This the society here, you know, there's the, the police brutality which occurs not only in the US, it occurs here, is never addressed sufficiently, properly. The whole capitalist way of people have to work for this and that and they're not happy working in that job and prison system. Just the whole system needs to collapse. Needs to be beat down, smashed down, and we need to. Everyone needs to come together and start again.
2: And this is something that, obviously, you know, through hearing you, um te kipu, is that you're passionate about. Yes, you know? I'm passionate about
0: there being some kind of justice and some kind of equal rights things. So this is really a a quest for humans to become better.
2: Not just Maori, but park here. So then what is the ideal space for Māori to be in? Oh, well, it's mana motu
0: hake, tino rangatiratanga. Those are clearly known. Self-control, self-determination.
2: understanding of Te Kupu, his political views and his unwavering and unapologetic stance on issues affecting Māori, colonialism and alienation of tangata whenua, his albums share that common theme. Perhaps his views were shaped by an incident that happened as a child.
0: Like when I was eight or nine, I was called like a nigger by some bikey who almost ran me over and up a hut when I was crossing the road going to the river. And that's when I went home and said to my mother, What's a nigger? Some you know. Were, I was quite frightened because this guy he must he would have been twenty or something, and then I seen started seeing colour. I hadn't seen colour before that skin colour, and I noticed my mother's white and my father's mouldy, and that's why some people have been calling me half caste and that. But just amongst all of us, we were just I was mouldy. That's how everyone looked at one another. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should be thanking that guy because I woke up kind of early about the whole thing I've spoken with people of my generation they said, man i didn't see any color thing until they was 15, 16, 17, 18, those ages yeah, it's right. totally different now. young people can't understand it people are told they're Maori from the get-go.
2: So you're hanging with four of your friends, you're using whatever's around to kind of make sounds and make instruments as you mentioned before. How did it progress? How did you get serious?
0: Uh, There was more than four of us, I should say. It was probably a Loose group of 12, 13 or more. They used to, you know, people would come and then they're not and whatever. Who's drinking with who, wherever, that type of thing. A <laughs> few of us wanted to, would discuss it. Like, hey man, we should do our own thing while having a beer, listening to some music. You know, we, we know we've heard all these things Bob Marley saying and other people. Burning's beer. And a message, Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five, and like, well, we should do some stuff, you know. So just a few of us got serious and that was us four that formed up our posse. Myself, MC Wire, that's my brother, DLT, Daryl Thompson, and Blue Dread, Aaron Thompson. Yeah, so we just decided oh no, we're gonna get serious about this. And the rest of the other people that were around, like Ace, like the twins, Hilton and Hayden, like Dillinger, Delane, Deon Top, these other cats that were around were just like, yeah, oh, you know, just, yeah, you guys go ahead.
2: In Upper hut or Yeah, in
0: Upper hut, yeah. yeah. And they says, oh, you, you guys are going to, yeah, go ahead, do it. And then I would so tell other people that weren't involved in the band, and it just seemed to be like we were dreamers.
2: Well, they weren't dreamers. Upper Heart Posse would grow in numbers to about 12 in the early days. Members included Te Kupu's brother, MC Wire, Terimwana Rapley, DLT, Aaron Thompson, MC Be and Dread. Te Kupu would be the lead vocalist. He wrote songs and composed some of the beats. The influences included Reggae, Bob Marley, and Stevie Wonder's Living in the City was an influential song. In his house at Raumati Beach, inspiration fills... The bookshelves. Tell us about this record collection. Literally we've got I don't know at least a hundred, maybe even a couple of hundred of your vinyls there. Tell us about that collection.
0: Well I I was buying and importing records back in nineteen eighty three because there just wasn't the sounds here that I wanted to hear. That's not to say that there wasn't sounds that I did want to hear here, but certain records weren't here. Little seven inch forty five, so I'm most well known for and especially in hip hop circles for importing the seven inch single of planet rock which wasn't a known song at that point at all until it played on that's incredible on television when there was a breaking oh, yes, special yes yes, that's right and then everyone's like hey what's that song hey there was this guy from upper hut that had that the other week playing it on his tape deck and that was me so then people like took notice of like oh right it's that guy that's so. hubby
2: hancock no, no. afro Africa yes. on a
0: force but so I, I just import records here and there and buy them from the Chelsea Records and that, you know. So there was, there was records to be had, but I, because you couldn't travel around with records, I, I went straight to cassettes. So I was the guy that carried around the cassette deck, and a lot of these records that you see in front of you are kind of even more recent. I've I've kept on, I've stayed with a few throughout the years, but. No, and nowadays I'm, I'm buying vinyl a lot more than I used to just because yeah. it's like right there. And I prefer to play records, which I do. As you can see, there's a record up there. Wow. A lot of DJs don't play records at home. They can't be bothered or something.
2: Is it almost like a dying, in, in terms of the DJ world, is it a dying art form?
0: No, no. It's, vinyl is on up everywhere. Vinyl records are being brought where CD sales are slumping. But it's really nice listening to vinyl at home. P- More people should do it. Yeah. And I, it's easier for me to find a record and I listen to a song that I want to listen to than dick around looking through a <laughs> MP3 player with my thumb. That's just, oh, I can't be bothered doing that.
2: So you, mean, you mentioned playing at like rock. Are there any other little gems that you can sort of, off the top of your head, that you can think that are?
0: Oh, there, there probably are, but that's, yeah. Yep. Well, I've got Isley Brothers over there. Between the sheets, the twelve inch which I only just managed to get in the last couple of months. Had to import that from off discogs. But basically you've got like jazz and blues over there and then reggae box and then there's soul R and B music. Gosh. And there's some classical over there and there's some just a mix of whatever, like Billy Joel and all sorts of stuff. John Lennon. Yeah, and then, you know, the solid gold hits compilations, which I'm sort of working on. Nice. And up a Records, of course. Yeah, of course.
2: Of course, of
3: mm-hmm. course. Man is rules the world,
0: but just told the line you survive. A oh, Racism is growing, along with that is fear. It's the get-too-big, I mean. there's a past repair.
1: Stony way.
0: Oh, Against the
2: Flow, this was the
0: first album released in 1989.
2: Some of the songs. So who were the members? I mean, I know there's kind of been a changing face. I mean, you're the lead vocalist. Um, I have read that you've kind of been the glue of the group over the years. That's kind of held everybody together. So in that particular album, who were the members of Upper Heart Posse?
0: Yeah, that was me, myself, T-Word, MCB Wear, DJ DLT, Wire, Tere, Tere Moana, mm. and Acid Dread. And looking on this, we put down George, as our, who was our manager, as being an up up posse too. Well, he was really, because me and him used to program, him and I, we programmed the beats on this album. I programmed some myself, he programmed some himself.
1: Yeah, yeah. But so that's,
0: you know, this is more a rap album than a reg. By, by this. When we started recording this in 89, and before Air 2, we'd become a rap reggae band. We formed as a four-piece reggae band, but two years later, we'd pulled in another MC, that's MC Beware. And he and I were rapping <clears throat> over beats that George Hubbard had programmed and also that I'd programmed. And DLT was on the drums in the reggae band. He started scratching records. And became the DJ on the hip hop part of the band about 1990, and after the release of Against the Flow, because that's when we came into a lot of controversy, and that's also when the I call it a contra- contrary concept of reverse racism poked itself above the out of the the gutter or whatever, because reverse racism, i.e., calling a Maori with someone brown or black, racist, hadn't really appeared in the media or anywhere. But it was coming on. I'd, I'd sensed it from the late 80s. And by 1990, it was fair game for any European to call a Mori racist. And this made me think, because I've closely observed race relations in this country. So it was like interesting to, to see that occur. And they started calling Public Enemy a racist band. And then we got labelled as racist. Also from a gig at the Glue Pot, where we were supposed to have been in a racial riot, punch-up with Samoans, which didn't occur either. But actually I've just found out in the last few years that there was actually a bit of a punch-up, but it didn't involve me. But that's when Samoans were heckling us, basically for, saying, for doing our song Against the Flow, 150 years of white oppression. And for some reason, Samoans got all upset about that, and they started yelling for us to go home. Yeah, so we had controversy from that, and that led on to this this other one, because we told them to go home, you know. And the, the whole at the glue pot gig, and the whole music sort of got cut and this and and so as I had the mic was still on, so I just said very clearly, I was like, "Hey, how many Samoans in there?" Most of the people put their hands up. I says, "Look, you have your country. It's called Samoa. You don't like it here." You can go there, but this country here is our land. This is Aotearoa. This is Māori land. We're not going anywhere. But the, the Truth newspaper at that time, which was a weekly that came out and was...
2: Like a tabloid newspaper, Yeah, they had eh? the
0: rap group and racial riot or something like that, racial punch-up. I did not want to dwell too much on that, but I'm saying this, that controversy was had an impact on the band in some ways. But in that year, we also went to... We were invited by... The son of Elijah Muhammad, who was leading the Nation of Islam from around 1934 to around 1974, some of those years, his son was over here, and he invited us to Detroit in 1990, so we went there to save his day speech, which was just wonderful, and then we went to New York, and that was just a great experience to be amongst black people Over there who were activists, who were radicals, who were actively involved in taking on the white man's structure in that country.
2: Time Dean works on his music at his DIY studio. Sometimes he heads to the nearby library simply to write. He takes me on a tour of his recording studio near the back of his fuddy.
0: Oh yeah, well this is the studio. This is Matakahi Studios. Matakahi. Yeah, Matakahi. I got there from off my solo album called Matakahi Kupu, which is taken from the fucker Toki called Matakahi Maire, which was said of the first warrior to breach the enemy's ranks. So I thought, hey, I like that. So I'll take off maere, that's the name of the tree Nice And put in kupu, so these are the words which penetrate the matakahi, kupu But yeah, so this is the studio, this is one room here and there's a,
2: It's just at the back of your house?
0: Put a glass here and there's a vocal booth in there And this looks a lot better than it used to
2: Yeah, so is this like a, your former shed?
0: Yeah, well that used to be a garage, that whole bit there Yeah So I did that up and I built this bit on the end here. So this is a, from there to here's sorta of like a built-on bit. Yeah.
2: Jack of all trades.
0: Yeah. <laughs> my dad was a carpenter and a guitarist, musician, so yeah. But I'm just like I need something done, I gotta do it do it myself. Oh yeah, Yeah, a... that's the vocal booth there and there and got that. <laughs> this is my nice family stuff here.
2: Oh yeah, you got the old phones on there.
0: Yes. Yeah. He said, bro, I didn't buy this. It came from a gig somewhere, did not mention. <laughs> well, I brought the bro board around, Job this, man, I thought you'd want this. I said, how are you? Proper, you
2: know. There is a lot yeah. of memories, so gigs, concerts, history and music over three decades to fit in an interview. So, inevitably, Dean is working on a book.
0: Autobiographical account of the making of Ngata, He Know the Links. Someone has to do it and no one else can do it well, but me because really it's, <laughs> it's autobiographical. <laughs> Which if I wasn't doing travelling around the world we would have done more albums. I would be more doing that. But there's no panic to do a lot of album and album and album. People just make albums because they're top of the pop so they better make another one because they don't want to be not top of the pops. Yeah. and that's just yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Just do some music when it's necessary. When it's needed. That's why there's a gluttony of of music, it's just, nah. Yeah. Te Reo Māori remixes was straight programmed beats, sequenced beats of some of our earlier tunes done in Te Reo Māori. So Ruggie Gill did that in Te Reo Māori. Air 2 did it completely in Te Reo Māori. Then we brought out Tohe in 2010, a dubstep drum and bass album, which was programmed, sequenced by me and Kiki Matama. Then got to our latest album here, which is Declaration of Resistance, which is like work that I've been, an album I've been working on, well, since Legacy finished in 2005. And by 2007, I'd started dealing with some live musicians again. <laughs> by 2008, yeah, they'd pulled together a live band. But by 2009, the major, probably the major change, shift, evolution, for party was me picking up the guitar and playing guitar live. My wow. brother, going back to playing the bass, you know, he was playing bass in 1985, I was playing keyboards live in a live reggae band in 1985, and guitar, I was like, no, I'll leave that up to these people that want to be Jimi Hendrix. So, But by 2009, to keep our band together as a live unit, I, I had to pick up the guitar and play.
2: In 2011, Upper Heart Posse released their seventh studio album, Declaration of Resistance, the name itself a perfect fit for the political views and topics of the group for the past 30 years. At the time of the release and the tour of the album, the group became a seven-piece live band with Dean Harpita, a.k.a. Te Kubu, MC Wire, Blue Dread, Des Mellon, John Henare, Jeff Henderson and Jeremy Cobra.
0: But this album was a big deal. <laughs> when I was just sitting here looking at it with my, in my hand, you know, this is another one of final which needs to be made into copies. But this is an important album. I don't think people uh, will appreciate it, but people haven't been appreciated our albums throughout the years, so it's not a bother. I don't make albums for people to appreciate. <laughs>
2: you know. So why do you make them then?
0: Because oh, it's just a natural calling. I, I need to express myself through music and through words. If I didn't, oh, you know, I, I'm sure I would have done something crazy by now. Music is a release. Yeah. I, I don't. It's necessary in a way. Yeah. You look look at the the titles on the song, the names of the songs. No, inspiration. UHP to the people. Kafafai tonumato. Government departure. Can't let it be. We a warrior. Revolutionary resistance. Liberation. Shitstim, Freedom. Maintain. <laughs> you know that's thirteen tracks, which are all conscious. Struggle, resistance, music—you know, Kafafai tonu mato. I remember writing that song in two thousand and eight, and I and I just thought, man, I need a what's the title for a song? And that came straight to my head. I was thinking, surely someone's already used this as a title. You know, it's that's the catch cry, the slogan for the Maori protest movement has been since the seventies to now. I was like, damn it, no. There's no song. I can't think of anyone that's written a song than like that. And I says, right, sweet. I'm doing so then that.
2: You're gonna, yeah.
0: And then when I did the music video, the music video was like, I'm going to pull in something that I've wanted to use in a music video for quite a while, and that's about the Battle of Ordiko in 1863. You know, we're surrounded by imperial colonial forces and asked to like give up or let the woman out. You know, the people that were in there defending, which included... Very in Mania Potowa was there. Ngāti, Ngāti Mania Potowa, but of course Ngāti Raukawa was there. So we, there was my people that was there too, you know. Well, all Māori people are my people, of course. But mm. more specifically, Ngāti Raukawa was there.
2: Tekupu's house is quiet. At the time of our kōrero, his daughter is at school. His home is his creative hub. But from time to time, he works in his backyard. Spuds, pumpkins,
0: nice broccoli. Ah, oh, you know, everything. Here's my lemon tree. Can't live without that. And just some native trees around here. I've planted this totara, planted that karaka over there. we yeah, was there when we moved in. And down the back, you know, I planted a a kodi, kahikatea. Yeah, man. Love the native trees.
2: It's quite a serene place for you, eh?
0: Yeah, it is, because to have to live in a, a city, a built-up area without a garden, that's like, man, that's some kind of torturous thing. People put themselves through it, but they hard, That's their problem. Because I love having this down the back. You know, I've got food down there, carrots. I eat out of, out of my garden most days that flood wiped out all all of my parsley (laughs) and that, yeah but, you know, still there so I just love it, yeah, having native trees, because where I grew up in Māori Bank we were right next to like what must have been one of the last stands of native vegetation in that area by the river, you know, there was kariao in in that native bush that we had and kariao just doesn't, it's not something you can go and get at the local nursery or something and can grow, you know, that grows in native, it needs, needs a native environment to grow really, so we had that in our bush and you know, it broke my heart when they widened the road and massed down all of our native trees right next to our house and put up this big ugly crib wall five years after that, they did it to the other side and put a motorway up, you know which was our access to the river. I grew up right next to a river, down the, in my back. see him in the back, where the fence is down there, that's the back yard yes. here. Well, where I grew up in Māori Bank, that's the river. That was the, the hut river. So I grew right up by the river, eeling, <laughs> sparing bullies, <laughs> jumping off the bridge, Māori Bank bridge. Wonderful childhood, loved it. Stop <laughs>
3: shouting
0: Right now, it's really me and my brother, MC Wire, at Upper Hot Posse. If, if I get a particular gig, I could pull in uh, 10 musicians and we could play as a 12 piece. Yep. But right, right now, I'm just happy to be doing it like that because I don't have the time to be coordinating a live band anyway. Yep. We're, we're not a band that pulls large cr- audiences. You know, we don't have top 10 hits or whatever. Our songs, I know, freak people out. I think I freak a lot of people out when I'm on stage because my shit's so direct. But I think in this in music industry in this country, once you come out and you're doing you're an activist, you're a radical, your music is hardcore, you're known as that. Kia ora yeah. this is Takupu from Upper Hutt Parsi Yeah, some of y'all don't know that we've been going now for what, 30 years? That's right, 30 years from 1985 to 2015 Damn, we're still here, still rocking on People have said, hey man, hey bro Actually people used to say back after we'd even brought out Air too. Yo, when are you going to like, you know, get a job? you're like this is a job what I'm doing I'm doing music I'm going to be doing it always you know I'm just like going to keep doing music until I can't do it no more that's it inspirations for that are people like Louis Armstrong all the jazz musicians do it my dad there's plenty of Maori musicians in this country to keep doing it you just keep doing it and people want you to go and get a job what I want to say to all those people that tell me to go and get a job is man you get a job Follow your heart, follow your aspirations, your inspirations instead of working for the white man. Asalam Alaykum. Peace. Kia ora